0: Good morning, it's Thursday, the 3rd of August and I'm coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top reports and themes for the day, America is hit with a ratings downgrade, markets worldwide react, Foxconn's many announcements across India, Reliance Retail started in 2006 is more valuable than the older oil to chemicals businesses. Some 75% of Starbucks sales come from cold drinks, not hot coffee.
1: This is a core
0: report with Govindraj Atiraj. America gets a downgrade. The change by Fitch ratings announced today is arbitrary and based on outdated data. Is how you think an Indian government official would react to a ratings downgrade for India? Well, no. This is what the US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said in a statement after Fitch ratings downgraded the US government's credit rating in turn just a few weeks after President Biden and the Republicans came on the brink of a historical default. The Wall Street Journal says that this downgrade is the first by a major ratings firm in more than a decade and is evidence that increasingly frequent political skirmishes over the U.S. government's finances are clouding the outlook for the $25 trillion global market for treasuries. Fitch's rating on the United States now stands at a AA+, or one notch lower than the top AAA grade. The Wall Street Journal says that America's reputation for reliably making good on its IOUs has cast treasury bonds in an indispensable role in global markets, a safe haven security offering nearly risk-free returns. Now, treasuries serve as a critical benchmark for returns on stocks and other bonds because investors usually demand greater yields on any other securities that they buy. So investors don't think, however, that Fitch's downgrade will affect the reputation or risk of American treasury bonds, but yet... This is the first time a ratings firm lowered its headline assessment of the government's propensity to pay its bills on time since Standard & Poor's in 2011 lowered its rating one notch below the top grade. Moody's, the other member of the three big US ratings firms, continues to give the US its strong assessment. So the big three, Moody's, Standard & Poor's, and Fitch. Fitch said on Tuesday that the downgrade reflects an erosion of governance in the US relative to other top-tier economies over the last two decades. The repeated debt limit political standoffs and last-minute resolutions have eroded confidence in fiscal management, the agency said. The Wall Street Journal also said that Biden administration officials criticized Fitch's decision, blaming governance problems on the Trump administration and arguing that the United States was not at risk of missing its debt payments. Fitch's move to cut ratings has jolted markets around the world. The BSE Sensex crashed over 1,000 points during the day yesterday before closing at 65,783, down 677 points. The Nifty 50, on the other hand, hit a low of 19,423 before shutting at 19,527, down 207 points. The downgrade of the U.S. credit rating by a notch is sentiment negative for global markets. The U.S. 10-year bond yield spiking above 4% and the dollar index rising to 102 are near-term negative for emerging markets, a chief investment strategist at Geojit Financial told the Business Standard. He also said that it was important to note that the downgrade does not say anything that the market does not know. So what does a ratings downgrade actually mean in general and in specific? And more importantly, how should India look at this ratings downgrade to understand any potential implications? To understand this, I reached out to Sujan Hazra, chief economist and executive director at Mumbai-based Anandrathi Securities.
1: So basically, credit rating at the end of the day gives you the chances of default. And AAA means virtually no risk of default. AA Plus also is a very high credit rating, which is pretty close to very low chance of default. But having said that, the downgrade basically means that the risk of default for US has gone up. Doesn't necessarily mean that the default will happen anytime soon or default will happen. This is more of a probabilistic statement. See, ultimately, there is a trade-off between return and risk. So if the risk goes up, the return also has to go up. So basically, the interest rate for U.S. government debt should go up because of this. So that's the basic meaning. But we have seen in the past, credit rating agencies are generally reactive than proactive. So in that sense, by the time they do a rating change, the actual event has already taken place. So it's more post-pacto kind of a thing. And the kind of deterioration fiscal situation in U.S. which has happened over the last two decades, and especially post-COVID, this was long awaited. So this should have happened long back, but it has happened now. So I don't think from the perspective of immediate reaction of the market, apart from the knee reaction, I don't think this has a very
0: serious implication. Sujan, two questions. So one is now we are talking about US government debt and the rating of that, which means if people were to buy into government debt or bonds, then they have to reckon with this rating. Would this affect any other kind of uh, debt that's issued by anyone else in the United States? That's one. Two, how should a country like India or how should we interpret this, if at all?
1: So, uh, generally the sovereign rating is the upper bound of the rating that the corporates of that country can get. So, US downgrade means that US corporates also de facto get downgraded, whoever had triple A rating, they de facto get downgraded and their cost of credit goes up because of that. The US government rate is generally the global benchmark. So because of this downgrade, basically the benchmark is now going up, that obviously has an implication. For the rest of the world, whosoever borrows in dollar terms. So in that sense, there should be some impact across the board. But having said that, what I said uh, is that the fundamentals of U.S. government bonds have deteriorated significantly over the last two decades, especially since 2020. Major part of that effect has already played out. Secondly, you have to understand it's only Fitch which has downgraded. There are Moody's, there are S&P, it's not that they have also downgraded. So, whosoever uses Fitch as the reference point, for them the impact is far more. This is a bad news in that sense. Now, if we come to the context of India, as you know, India by most reckoning has the lowest investment grade rating. And what is interesting is that India's credit rating has not improved over the last 20 years. In the last 20 years, India has made a huge journey. From being the 12th largest economy in 2000, India is now today the 5th largest economy and set to be the 3rd largest by 2028. There has been significant improvement of India in terms of all relative ranking the size of agriculture, size of industry, size of manufacturing, size of services, size of consumption. So, that obviously hasn't got reflected in India's credit rating. So, in that sense, in case of India, the credit rating upgrade is overdue. The only thing which holds India back is our fiscal deficit historically has been significantly higher than uh, other countries who are in the broad range. So that's the reason, perhaps, and most important reason. But what is important to understand for India, in case of equities, 37% of the free float market cap is held by foreign portfolio investors. Another 17% free float is held by foreign direct investment. So, technically, 53% of the free float market cap of India is controlled by the foreigners. Whereas, in case of debt market, it's only about 2% of our market cap is controlled by the foreign entities. So, in that sense, the impact of our debt market on India is always lower. Second, as I said, India's fundamentals have improved and India deserves a rating upgrade. So, I don't expect impact on the Indian debt market to be any significant beyond the very short-term impact.
0: Right. Uh, Sujan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. When diversifications pay off Reliance Industries retail arm is now valued at almost twice its decades old and cash-generating oil-to-chemicals business or O2C. According to Stockbroking House Bernstein's latest report on the company dated 1st August, Reliance's retail business is valued at $112 billion, while its O2C business is valued at $57 billion. The research firm also valued its Geomart platforms business at $77 billion and new energy-like renewable energy businesses at $17 billion. So Bernstein says the Reliance is on the path of unlocking across business segments, evident from the recent initial public offer of geofinancial services buyouts of minorities and potential investors in Reliance Retail and the stabilizing of its telecom capital expenditure. All these potential unlocking opportunities across businesses with a path to potential IPOs are a key medium-term catalyst, the brokerage has said. Reliance Retail, by the way, reported a turnover of about 260,000 crores for the financial year 22 23 and as on March 31st, 2023, Reliance Retail operated about 18,000 stores across 7,000 towns with a retail area of over 65 million square feet. Now, Bernstein says that it expects the O2C business to be the largest contributor of earnings before interest tax and depreciation, or EBITDA, in FI24 at 38%. Beyond FI24, now FI24 is obviously the year ending 2324 and is running right now. The digital and retail businesses will grow at a faster rate, which will limit the EBITDA contribution from oil to chemicals to around 20 to 30 percent of total EBITDA. Now, this still remains significant. Digital will represent 35 to 40 percent of total EBITDA over the next five years, Bernstein says. And retail, that's offline and online, will grow from 10 to 12 percent of total EBITDA last year to about 17 percent by 2027. From diversification to a focus on consolidation. Gautam Adani's Ambuja Cements is set to buy a majority stake in Sanghi Industries, buying out the owners with a deal giving the company a roughly 50 billion rupees or 606 million enterprise value, according to Bloomberg News. Reuters first reported that Ambuja has reached an agreement to buy Sanghi, started by entrepreneur Ravi Sanghi. Sanghi has an annual production capacity of about 6.6 million metric tons of clinker and 6.1 million metric tons of cement, according to the company. Adani already controls around 67 million tons of cement capacity between Ambuja Cement and ACC, both companies it acquired a few years ago. And Indigo reports the highest ever quarterly profit. It helps, when one of your competitors, roughly 60 aircraft, are sitting on the ground and unable to challenge you for seats or share, or for that matter, price. Indigo was back in the black in the April to June quarter of financial year twenty three twenty four that's running now after it posted its highest ever quarterly net profit of 3,000 crores during the period. It reported a net loss of 1,060 crores for the same period last year, though it did report a lower profit in the previous quarter that's ended March 31st, 23 Passenger ticket revenues were up around 31 percent. Indigo's shares closed about 3.7 percent higher at 2,666, as against a one percent fall in the BSE Sensex today, which I referred to a little while ago. So, what is Foxconn up to? Foxconn, a key Apple supplier, is to invest $600 million in two manufacturing projects in Karnataka, including one in partnership with US-based Applied Materials, a state government statement has said. Foxconn will invest $350 million to set up a unit to make components for smartphones, including for the iPhone. It will invest $250 million in a second plant for producing chip-making tools in partnership with Applied Materials, who is also a major player in semiconductor equipment. So all of that's good, except that on Tuesday, Foxconn refuted reports saying it was investing 194 million or 1,600 crores in Tamil Nadu for an electronics components manufacturing facility. This was told to Reuters by a government source. We did not sign any investment agreement, Foxconn was quoted as saying by the Securities Times newspaper, adding that the company had issued a statement in July refuting similar rumours. Around three weeks ago, Foxconn walked out of a much-publicized $19.5 billion semiconductor joint venture with Indian metals-to-oil conglomerate Vedanta. The world's largest contract electronics maker had signed a pact with Vedanta last year to set up a semiconductor and display production plant in Gujarat. So, while Foxconn will clearly keep stepping up investments in India, it's also shopping around the country. As it does that, obviously state governments, among others, seem to be leaking conversations which may or may not be at an early stage, in some cases at least, which leads to some speculative reports. But from what I could take away from telecom research from counterpoint research, at this point, Foxconn has four plants in India in Tamil Nadu, including one dedicated to Apple. Expansions announced also include a plant in Telangana and in future, maybe other areas, depending on their beyond smartphone strategy, such as automotive, IoT, that's the internet of things and other devices. From semiconductors to jobs, India's overall unemployment rate fell in July as rural areas saw increased demand for agricultural labor with the onset of monsoon rains. The total jobless rate fell to about 7.95% in July or just under 8% from about 8.45% in June, according to data released by the privately owned Center for Monitoring Indian Economy or CMIE. Rural employment fell to about 7.9% from about 8.7% in June, while urban unemployment was up from 7.87 to now 8.06. After a slow start, monsoon rains have picked up sharply, improving the outlook for agriculture production and economic growth. Starbucks may have started with hot coffee, but cold drinks are now bigger. Starbucks became a multi-billion dollar coffee business selling hot coffee, but cold drinks are now bigger than ever at the coffeehouse chain that started in Seattle. Cold drinks accounted for 75% of beverage sales in the company's third quarter. We're particularly encouraged to see cold espresso beverages were up 13% year-on-year, Indian origin CEO Lakshman Narasimhan said during the chain's third quarter earnings call on Tuesday. Starbucks reported record sales from its cold espresso and other elaborate coffee drinks But the coffee chain said that employee wage increases and investments in its cafes dragged down its profit, according to the Wall Street Journal. Cold foam, in fact, is the fastest growing add-on at Starbucks, he said. Add-ons, also known as modifiers, such as sugary pumps of syrups, extra espresso shots and sauces, are a billion-dollar business for Starbucks. Over 60% of beverages were customized, representing a 9% growth when compared to just five years ago, Chief Financial Officer Rachel Ruggeri said. Narasimhan also said that U.S. store operations for Starbucks are improving, the company is installing new ovens and coffee machines in stores, and baristas are staying in their jobs for longer. Narasimhan, who became chief executive in March, has said he is seeking to improve Starbucks' supply chain, staffing, and equipment to boost the shopping experience for customers. He said on Tuesday that the company was making progress on a revamp of the coffee chain. Starbucks had said last year it would invest in stored equipment, improve its store designs, and increase its incentives for workers. Narsiman also said he thinks Starbucks can open more stores in smaller cities in the United States. Delivery sales are growing, but Starbucks will continue to invest in its go-to offerings. Well, that's it for me for today. Have a great day ahead. Do remember to write in to us and tell us what you'd like to hear or not, whether it's business news or outside of it. Have a great day again. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at thecore.in. Thank you for listening.